Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, D-Generation X, and by DX, I mean the Kansas City Public Network, proudly brings to you another edition of Tapped In. With me, your host, Duncan Kaminsky, happy to be bringing you some sports, some shenanigans, you know, like the with the, like the place with the mozzarella sticks on the wall, and or the mozzarella sticks and the crazy shit on the wall. You know, that's uh, maybe they have mozzarella sticks on the wall. I mean, I don't know. They're up to crazy shenanigans. Who knows? But they're Farva's favorite place. Uh, but yes, welcome to another edition of Tapped In. We're right here in the heart of Kansas City, the crossroads at Taps on Main, the studio in KCPN. Taps on Main. It's a beautiful Friday afternoon out here. You can come in, get some of the best wings you'll ever have in your entire freaking life. And some wonderful beer to wash them down with on the 50 beer handle tap wall. Pour your own tap wall. So get on down here to Taps on Main. Uh, but yeah, so what's uh, what, what do we got tapped in here? What do we got tapped in today? I'll tell you what I'm tapped into is something that, uh, that the Royals... I'm tapped into the Royals, but the Royals are not as tapped in over the last couple of days. Last Wednesday, I was very excited to talk to you about, hey, we're 3-1, and one, and hey, Whit Merrifield is doing things, and Royals look like they could be up to something special, And but I did obviously say with the caveat that it's very early in the season. It's a very, very young infant season that we're in. And we just hit a couple of hiccups, a couple of bumps in the road here in finishing the series with Cleveland and then starting the series with the uh, Chicago White Sox. Those bastards. Uh, but yes, the Cleveland on Wednesday beat the Royals 2-4. to four. Yesterday, the White Sox beat the Royals 6-0. Uh, and so the bats have gone cold, unfortunately, a little bit. And also main continuing to be cold is... Brad Keller, who went uh, three and a third yesterday, six hits, four earned runs, three walks, three strikeouts, and he gave up two, two home runs to the White Sox. Not what you want to be seeing. And this is a White Sox lineup that was already missing Tim Anderson and uh, Aloy Jimenez. And so this is a depleted White Sox lineup, and it's you're just not that's that's not what you want to be seeing is giving up six runs to that team. And so it's. Brad Keller, I mean, if there's, if you want to have a silver lining, he brought his ERA down from the preposterously high 40.50 ERA that it was after uh, last Thursday's home opener. He's brought it down to 19.29. So, yay? Improvement? No, he's, Keller's, Keller's looking off. Something, something's not right with him. And so hopefully, hopefully the coaches, Cal Eldred, can uh, get, get, in talks with him and try to get some stuff figured out and uh, whether or not he's dealing with an injury that hasn't been reported on, or maybe that he's even just keeping to himself. Who knows? There could be a number of things, but hopefully the Royals can get him sorted out and he can be the, the ace that everybody want that everybody hopes he can be. I mean, we want to get him that contract and everything, get him taken care of, get him taken care of. And this is a, this is a guy who could be, the leader, the veteran leader for the, the young pitchers that we're looking to bring up. We already have Brady Singer, obviously, but the Kowars and the Laceys and the Lynches and, and the Coxes and uh, some of the other talented young pitchers the Royals have acquired via the draft the last uh, few years. So we'll see what's up with Keller. Uh, on the bright side, the, there's, the bullpen, with a couple of caveats, has been pretty strong. 
if you look at the com- the the combined efforts of Kyle Zimmer, Scott Barlow, Josh Stamont, and Jake Brintz over the course of 11 appearances out of the bullpen so far for those four, they have pitched a combined 14.2 innings pitched with zero bagel, donut, nada, zip, zilch, earned runs allowed between those four. And if you add Jacob Junis to that, it's 13 appearances and 16.2 innings pitched with still that zero earned runs allowed. And so there's some members of the bullpen that are looking pretty strong. Wade Davis has only given up one earned run, but unfortunately a couple pitchers have not exactly hung or uh, have not exactly been able to hold up their end of the bargain. Uh, Carlos Hernandez, who was kind of a, looked at as maybe a long starter, along with Junis, he's been roughed up a couple times. And Jesse Hahn and, and Greg Holland, unfortunately, were both both the culprits in uh, Wednesday's game against Cleveland as Junis came out, just got his first start. We needed to get somebody in there as a fifth rotation guy, and Junis was absolutely dominant. I mean, I talked about on Wednesday how he'd added the cutter, and there was hopes that that might be able to complement his dominant slider that he had. And that was at least in, in the first trial, that was definitely the case as he went five innings against Cleveland, one hit, two walks, six strikeouts and over those five innings he only pitched 58 he only had 58 pitches that is something that is what we've wanted to see out of Jacob Junis we've seen flashes we've seen glimpses of the talent he has before if this cutter is for real and is that it can be a second real knockout punt a knockout pitch for him then Junis could be this could be Junis taking that next step and obviously we've seen his success out of the bullpen already in this very young season. And he's he's got the bulldog mentality, and he showed that on Wednesday when they wanted to pull him. Matheny was out there. They wanted to pull him in that fifth inning, and he shook it off, said, no, 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 let me keep going. And he sure enough, he finished out that inning. And they're still trying to stretch him out as a starter since he spent so much time in the rotation – or I'm sorry, in the bullpen, and that's why he only went to 58 pitches. But got to be encouraged by Junis there. Unfortunately, that lead that he, that he had – after five was immediately given up by Jesse Hahn and Greg Holland as they each in two in separate innings gave up two run home runs to that freaking Jose Ramirez, man. That third baseman for the for Cleveland is just one hell of a ball player. And he's he's been a kind of a, a mini bash brothers with Francisco Lindor for a number of years, who of course they shipped off to the New York Mets in the offseason. And so he's He's the lone big bat in that lineup now, but, man, he brought that big bat against the Royals on Wednesday and single-handedly won the game for Cleveland. And uh, But still, Royals are 3-3. Three and three, Nothing to be too terribly discouraged about. You've still obviously still a lot of pluses. Still have some guys that have hit pretty well. You've got only, – it's only four guys now batting over 250, and Kyle Isbell is one of them right at 250, so I shouldn't say at higher, you know, 250 or higher. But the other three above him – Michael A. Taylor at 391, still a very pleasant surprise. Whit Merrifield at 375, doing things that we would expect out of Whit Merrifield. Uh, a little bit above and beyond. And Nicky Lopez, another pleasant surprise, 368. And so, with, he man, he was a contact hitter when he was in the minors. And uh, it's it looks, looks like maybe, just maybe, he worked on his swing a lot in the offseason. Just maybe, maybe things are happening here. So we'll... 
we'll see. So some early encouraging signs between a couple of prospects that we used to be high on that they just kind of let down a little bit that maybe they're turning around this year, Nikki Lopez and Jacob Juno. So we shall see when it comes to our Kansas City Royals. Day off again today. Finish off with Chicago on Saturday and Sunday before they come back home for a long, beautiful 10-game homestand out at the K against the Angels, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the Blue Jays, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then the following week with the Tampa Bay Rays, the defending AL champion Tampa Bay Rays coming to town for a three-game set. So 10-game homestand, folks, coming up here starting on Monday. If you haven't had a chance to get out to the K yet for the opening weekend, give it a shot. I mean, I know it's this limited capacity, but... Man, it's it's nice weather here. It well, hopefully it'll be nice weather here in Kansas City. Um, we're in, you know, be in the middle of April, and go out and see some baseball. Didn't get to last year, so if you get the opportunity, I would highly recommend it. I know I had a blast on Sunday, out there at the K. So, so we're gonna switch gears a little bit here. We're gonna move on to another thing going on at this moment: the Masters. After what was a very easy go for a lot of golfers in November in what was the weird year of 2020, uh, November Masters, as I mentioned the other day, that uh, Dustin Johnson won with a ridiculous and Masters record-setting winning winning shot number, or excuse me, winning number uh, of 20 under par. For the for the entire excuse me the entire tournament, you had two guys shoot 15 under. You had a 12 under. You had two guys shoot 11 under, and you had three guys shoot 10 under last November. Some insanely high, very inflated scores due to what was an unusual course in November for for Augusta National. That ain't the case anymore. We have the, the Masters, <laughs> Augusta National. Back with a vengeance against golfers, and it's left quite a few of them, with the exception of just a very small number, that were absolutely bewildered yesterday in the opening round of the Masters. And so, for example, no player last year in the first round in in the November Masters broke 80 for their opening round, uh, shot shot 80 or higher. Five did yesterday. Not not common for not or not not uh, not uncommon for traditional masters, but after how last year went, it was it was rough sledding for them again here today uh, for yesterday. Only a, only again, I mentioned it was only a few a very small number of golfers that uh, were able to surpass those uh, those limitations that the course presented to so many other golfers, and that was Justin Rose, who very surprisingly, who I mean he was up there, he was mentioned as some as some of the favorites. I don't believe I mentioned him. Uh, on on Wednesday, but uh, Justin Rose shot seven under sixty five, and then Brian Harmon and Hideki Matsu- Matsuyama both shot three under sixty nines. They were the only three golfers that broke seventy, and so there was again just a lot of people were very surprised. Uh, Twenty seventeen champion Sergio Garcia was actually quoted as saying, "I fought hard, but it felt like I came out of the ring with the Vander Holyfield. I felt like I f- I just boxed a twelve round match." And this is a guy who shot 75, you know, for three over par. So not nothing to be ashamed of, but a, a champion only four years ago talking about how this mat, this this uh, this round really made him feel like a boxer. I mean, and I kind of hesitate to say a golfer would feel like, you know, would, would compare a golfer after a round of 18 would feel like a boxer would after a 12 round match. But who am I to say? And if that's what I want to compare it to, that's definitely indicative of. Augusta National striking back. 
and defending champion Dustin Johnson shot a 74. Bryson DeChambeau, DeChambeau trying to drive the entire course, shot a 76. Uh, Brooks Kepka, who I mentioned a lot of people expect to, because of his knee, his, his knee injury, to uh, ultimately withdraw from the tournament before completing all four. He shot a 74 for two over. Jordan Spieth did manage to shoot one under par, even though he had a really bad, uh, really bad double bogey, I believe, on nine. Uh, but he finished at one under par, 71. Webb Simpson, two under for se- uh, or two under 70. And Rory McIlroy shot a four over 76. And also on one of the holes, I believe it was the seventh hole, he, he hit it off off the he hit it off the the uh, the course, or I'm sorry, off the, the 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 hole, and he actually struck his own father with the golf ball, <laughs> his father Jerry, and so. That's something that I can honestly say I don't know if has ever been reported before when it comes to a golf tournament that you know a, a golfer hit his own father with an with an errant golf ball. So hope hope Jerry McElroy is okay. Now he's he's fine. He's fine. But uh, and then can, uh, Topeka's own Gary Woodland shot a seventy three, and he also had a boxing analogy. He said he felt like he just got out of the ring with Mike Tyson, and so which I would feel a little bit more concerned about him saying Tyson, given that than Holyfield, given that Tyson. Back in 95, bit Holyfield's part of his ear off. And so I'd be a little bit more intimidated. And I'd definitely feel worse for wear if I came out of a boxing match with Mike Tyson than I would with Vayner Holyfield. I probably wouldn't be able to really hear for a while either. But, you know, whatever. So, yeah, rough going for uh, for the Masters crew this year with the exception of Justin Rose. And even today, he started off pretty rough. He immediately, after uh, on the front nine, he was... Already, I think he wasn't even done with the front nine yet. He was already three over par to drop back down to the pack at uh, four under. And But he is, last I checked, he has risen back up. We'll take a quick peek here at the Masters leaderboard. And, yes, Justin Rose, is he's he's even now today through 16 to be back up to seven under par. But he's, still, he's got some competition. Mark Leishman, the Aussie, is uh, only two strokes behind at five under par. And uh, Bernd Weisberger is at four under after shooting. He was two over yesterday. He has shot six under for the day. And so he's only three strokes back of Justin Rose at this point, tied with Justin Thomas, who is one of the favorites right behind uh, Dustin Johnson along with Jordan Spieth at four under par. And then Brian Harmon, who was at three under, is currently through eight is at four under and as is Webb Simpson. Tony Finau has made some noise today. He's three under par after shooting five under for the day so far at 13, as is, see, Jordan Spieth is two under. So you've got some golfers making some noise. Patrick Reed is two under. And so some some familiar names are starting to make a little bit of noise. You said Tommy Fleetwood's at even. More uh, Colin Morikawa is at even. So... Bubba is that even? He shot. He's shot two under for the day so far. So yeah, we'll see. There's a, could be could be kind of a tight race heading into the weekend. But Justin Rose, your surprising leader at the top of the uh, or clubhouse leader at this point at the top of the leaderboard. So always fun to go into Masters weekend. We will see. It's right now a projected cut of three under. I believe is what I saw. Yeah, three. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Three over. Par is the projected cut at this point. And so, and Phil Mickelson would unfortunately be cut at that point. Brooks Kepka, Rory is at four over right now. Matt Kuchar, 
Zach Johnson, Lee Westwood, Jason Day, a few familiar names. And so, so yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens this weekend with uh, the Masters. Have a little bit something for me to talk about on Monday. So if you get a chance, if you're watch a little bit of Masters this weekend. In addition to something else that I have to talk about here in a moment for something else to watch. So, but I'll get to that in just a moment. In the meantime, I'd like to wish somebody a happy birthday. If it's any of you who are watching this and it is your birthday, either today or this weekend or until before this next episode on Monday, then happy birthday to you. It is you who I'm talking about. And now I feel foolish because I'm lying because I'm actually, I am wishing a happy birthday to the legendary John Madden. He turns 85 years old tomorrow. People can say whatever they want to about John Madden and some of his kind of mundane uh, mundane sayings that he has is, you know, well, if you put up more, more points than the other team, you should win the football game. And let me tell you something about football. And let me tell you who's a good player, Brett Favre. And people, numerous people, that was not a good impression, by the way. That's not an impression I'm particularly proud of. But a lot of people have their John Madden impressions especially Frank Caliendo on Mad TV and something that he's built into a career with impressions. John Madden being top right there as one of the best ones and most popular ones that he does. And people have made their jokes about John Madden over the year, but over the years, but the, the reality is that he is somebody who has taught generations of football fans about the game, both through his years as a color commentator. And then obviously through the Madden NFL uh, game series by EA Sports. He has also had a tremendous run with uh, with that. I mean, it's not just him, but it is his name on the game. I mean, and it's, that's pretty crazy. You think about like him and Tiger Woods, like guys who, it's their name on the game. And for Tiger Woods, it makes sense because he was the best golfer in the world. John Madden was just the most famous announcer, was the most famous color commentator. And now we've since starting with John Madden football in 1988, and here we are almost 30 years later, and I'm sorry, over 30 years later, and it's still trucking, and it's still a dominant, dominant uh, platform. And it's part of why EA Sports, along with FIFA, is a multi-billion dollar per year revenue-generating company. And it's the ultimate team for Madden in particular makes over a billion dollars, generates over a billion dollars a year now uh, for for EA Sports. And so it's it's just a tremendous, it's a powerhouse. It is a juggernaut. Uh, but John Madden himself has had pre a pretty remarkable career, and it's crazy to think he's turning 85 tomorrow. But you're talking about a guy a lot of people forget is a Hall of Fame coach. He went to the Hall of Fame as a coach in 2006 as a coach for the Oakland Raiders, and he won the Super Bowl with them in 1976. He has, out of any coach with 100-plus wins in their career, he has the highest winning percentage out of all of them. You're talking your Don Shula's, your Tom Landry's, your Hank Strams and Andy Reeds. There are a number of Bill Belichick. There are a number of great coaches that don't match the winning percentage that John Madden has. And that's 75.9%. He coached 12 hall of famers with the Raiders and people can say that that's why the winning percentage is so high as it is for him. But the guy like it's, he's a guy that players respected the hell out of. And it's a great story of when he finally got inducted in 2006 after having been eligible for 22 years to be inducted in the hall of fame. And usually coaches get a phone call, but he was already prepping for for a broadcast, and he didn't even know that uh, he that the phone call had come in. And so he started telling other people in the room, "It's like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe next year." 
And then they showed on the broadcast before he went on, they showed on the television, the Hall of Famers, and his name was on there. The room absolutely erupted because, I mean, people were excited for John Madden as well as well they should be because those who knew him got to got to become very comfortable, very very uh, friendly with him, and he was he was a guy that tremendous amount of people have a great deal of ad- admiration for. So he coached the Raiders from '69 to '78, and then he became a color analyst, and he did color an- he did a color commentary work for all four networks: CBS from '79 to '93, Fox from '94 to '01, ABC '02 to '05, and then NBC from 2006 to 2008, when he finally retired to go spend more time with his family. But just some crazy things with him. He was a 16-time Emmy winner for his work in color commentary on Monday Night Football. And, and just, I mean, before, before he did Monday Night Football with Al Michaels, he was doing you know, the, the, a lot of the CBS and Fox games with uh, Pat Summerall. He and Pat Summerall worked at one point 22 consecutive Thanksgiving games together, which is just insane. And Pat Summerall is one of the all-time great play-by-play guys and another guy who in his own right was a former kicker he kicked for the giants back in the day back in the 50s i mean this is a guy who'd been around for a long time and then he becomes a color not not even just a color commentator he becomes play-by-play but it was working with john madden and that's probably the most iconic pairing in in uh in football broadcast history maybe sports broadcast history but it was also in those thanksgiving games is it was uh, years ago when he was in Louisiana and he heard about this turducken and it was a Louisiana-based restaurateur named Glenn Mistish who specialized in the turducken. If you haven't heard of the turducken, which I'm sure most of you have, is duck and chicken stuffed inside of a turkey. If that's not Thanksgiving, that's John Madden right there is the turducken. Get him a turducken. John Madden heard about this turducken, and it became a big thing with him. And this restaurant, Mistish, went from selling 200 turduckens annually to over 6,000 turduckens annually because of it becoming so popular with John Madden on the Thanksgiving Day games. And he just... he just created leg. He just created legendary moments, like things he touched. He was kind of a King Midas in certain regards, and he became the first announcer. And it was after before his first broadcast, and he was trying to prepare for it in uh, nineteen seventy eight or seventy nine. And he was trying to prepare for it. And he said, "Yeah, I want to go down to practice." And, and the executives for NBC, or I'm sorry, CBS, said, "No, no, no. That's not. That's not something we we don't do. That there's a spot where we can sit in the stands and watch." And he said, "No, I want to." I want to go down and talk to the coaches. I want to go down and talk to the players. I want to watch. If I'm going to talk about these guys on Sunday, I want to. I want to see what they're doing in practice. I want to have have this more intimate knowledge going into it. And so, something that is now common practice for color commentators across the board is he was the first one to actually go to practice and prepare before a broadcast. You look at something else that is just something you don't even think about during a game, but the first, that yellow line that goes down uh, showing where the first down marker would be, that was a John Madden invention. That was something where back in the 90s where he's got his telestrator, and that was something else that Caliena would make fun of before, is you basically have just all these these yellow lines, white lines or whatever, all over the screen from him playing with his telestrator, and people know John Madden loved his telestrator, but all these lines and everything like that on there, and he, uh, that was his invention. He said, well, why can't we just have a first down marker all the time on the screen? Why can't that be a thing? And I was, well, we have the technology. Why don't we do it? 
that first down marker. That's thanks to John Madden. Madden was also famous for the Madden Cruiser. So many people knew that that was the big thing, especially when he started doing Monday Night Football, Sunday Night Football, and on the side of the bus, they would put up their uh, picture of the player of the game. The Madden Cruiser actually started, and John Madden is famous for not – he doesn't like flying. He has claustrophobia. He doesn't like to be cramped in an airplane. He is a big guy. And so bought a Madden Cruiser, and it started because they rent, they borrowed Dolly Parton's tour bus – loved the idea and ran with it and created the Madden cruiser. And until the end of his career, his broadcasting career, the Madden cruiser would average 80,000 miles traveled across the country per year covering uh, football games. And so, and he also, he has one of the greatest sayings in, in history. Uh, if, and that was his, what he said was a criterion for greatness. And he said, can, can the history of whatever you do, be written without your name being mentioned. And that's a pretty cool, and that is a pretty cool to think, thing to think about. And that's also something that so many people nowadays, when outside of committees, but sports journalists and sports media members and people who just love to talk about sports, that's something so many of them talk about is, can you mention the, damn it, Ty got me. Ty got me. He got me to wave at him off camera. And I'm going to have to have words with him. That impending father jerk <laughs> anyway but um that's something that so many people talk about and that is something is like can can the history of your sport be written or the history of whatever you do be written without your name and if that if that's not the case you're a hall of famer if it can't if it have, has to have you involved you're a hall of famer and so and that's something that that john madden came up with and the guy i mean he's just a legend he was also very self-deprecating very self-aware first time he ever was having makeup put on and he said, seriously, I have to have makeup? And they're like, well, yeah, it helps, it helps take off the glare with the camera. And he's, as, they're put, as the makeup artist is putting it on him, he said, Are you, do you really need this stuff? He's like, this is kind of unnecessary because it's kind of like, you're not going to make me look any better. It's kind of like putting frosting on a pile of shit. So I paraphrase a little bit there. But Madden's a, Madden's a, he's a, he's a legend. Don't care what anybody has to say in, in contrast to that. The fact is that this guy, the game is not what it is today. And when I say the game, I'm talking – football but i'm also talking the gaming industry it is not what it is without john madden and it's it, i just just got to wish a happy birthday to tim we finally here in kansas city we got to see our own guy patrick mahomes on the cover also mahomes might kind of be the guy who truly broke the curse by winning a super bowl the year that he was in the madden the so-called madden curse uh but great game i have played countless editions of it especially the one with Patrick Mahomes on the cover. Again, that was a pretty special moment. But, uh, yeah, happy birthday to John Madden. Turns 85 tomorrow. And so that's, yeah, and happy birthday to any of you again. If it's your birthday and I, you know, then happy birthday to you as well. I want you to have a wonderful weekend and celebrate your birthday. And so we're going to finish out here on, on uh, Tapped In. And I, just one more piece of news is uh, I just want to say is you got WrestleMania this weekend, folks. So I said, you know, if you're going to want, if you want to watch the Masters, if that's your cup of tea, I think that's for a lot of sports fans. If you're a wrestling fan, hey folks, we got some WrestleMania on Saturday night and Sunday night. So that's super exciting. And I also would like to wish some best wishes to somebody when I, when I do my introduction, I say, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, mentioned D-Generation X today. I am straight up copying something from D-Generation X and uh, two former wrestlers who went by the by Road Dog and Billy Gunn, and uh, 
Road Dog Jesse James, also known as Brian Armstrong, and also known as his real name, Brian James, uh, recently had a heart attack. Uh, he's 51 years old. He is recovering. He is home. Uh, his wife and he have both said that he's going to be just fine, but kind of a scary moment for somebody who has clearly influenced what I do here on Tapped on Main. And because he had, did this phenomenal bit whenever he and Billy Gunn, they were known as a tag team called the New Age Outlaws, whenever they introduced themselves. And DX was always famous for their introductions. And he'd come out and say, Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, D Generation X proudly brings to you. The five-time tag team champions of the world, the new age. Nah, man, and I, see, I just screwed it up, didn't I? Yep, Zach knows I screwed it up. The road dog, Jesse James, the badass Billy Gunn, the new age outlaws. And Billy Gunn then comes in. If you're not down with that, we got two words for you. Let me hear it, Zach. Suck it! Yes, yes. Degeneration X. Always telling people to suck it. How inappropriate. But awesome because it was the Attitude Arrow. Best wishes to Brian Armstrong, to the Road Dog. It seems like he is recovering. He's a producer with WWE now. Does a lot of work to make sure matches look good. And so, yeah, WrestleMania this weekend, though. Enjoy the Masters. Enjoy the WrestleMania, whatever you choose to watch this weekend. Some Royals baseball. Um... Ty maybe hopefully have a baby this weekend. So uh, Ty's bothering me on camera. No, he's not bothering me. He could never bother me. I love that guy. Anywho, thank you again for tuning into an episode of Tapped In. This has been your Friday edition. We'll be back at it on Monday. Y'all, again, have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you next Monday.